that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for this very purpose, that we who recognize our sin may confess them, may turn to the Savior that God has sent, and may have forgiveness in His name and through His blood. That's our hope, that's our comfort, as we worship our God this morning. Let's now open the Word of God that He may teach us. Our scripture reading comes this morning from 2 Kings chapter 11. This chapter comes uh, after uh, Jehu, the, the last king in, in Israel thus far. Jehu slaughtered the descendants of, Ab- uh, of Ahab, and then he went on and slaughtered the, uh, a large part of the line of, of David, and uh, in, in a sense wiped the slate clean both on the line of Israel and the line of David. And now we come to uh, chapter 11 where a new turn of events happens in Judah, the northern kingdom. No, excuse me, the southern kingdom. So, 2 Kings chapter 11. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, that's the most recent king of Judah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash the son of Ahaziah and stole him away from among, among the king's sons who were being put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sewer, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you, which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king, shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath and those who were who were to come on duty on the Sabbath, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his, weapon, with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and, and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son, and put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king, and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king, standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, 
bring her out between the ranks and put her to death with the sword. Excuse me, and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then they all, then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the king's. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. So far, the uh, chapter. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 132, stanzas 6, 7, and 10. The text to which we want to pay attention to uh, this morning uh, is, is the same chapter that we've read, 2 Kings uh, chapter 11. We won't read that text again, but you would be helped by having uh, that chapter open as there are a number of details that I want to bring out of that chapter. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, We're coming back to the book of Kings uh, once again, and that would be now for the third time. Uh, We started in 1 Kings uh, two years ago, then we spent uh, some uh, some six months in Philippians, Uh, then we picked this book up again and got all the way to 2 Kings chapter 10, and then we spent the last nine or so months in Colossians, and now it's my hope that we can carry this book on to the end. Now, I want to anticipate some of the dismay that perhaps some of you might be uh, feeling as you, as you think about that. Uh, really? Back in 2 Kings again? Uh, another several months that we're going to be here? Do we have to? Uh, well, for what it's worth, I, I do get that. You, you have my sympathy uh, on, on that point. Uh, to some degree, I also relate to it. Uh, because this is, especially because this is the... the the last third of the book, and it is the darkest third of the book of of Kings. Uh, We're picking up this morning in a very dark place in in Scripture. And and so especially after spending several months in Colossians and all the hope and and the the joy that is there in Colossians, uh, it might not sound very attractive to to now turn and, and spend some time in one of the darkest places in Scripture. Uh, so if, if the question is, why do we have to be here and spend time in a place like this in Scripture, uh, at least you have my sympathy. Uh, there is a, an understandable turnoff that we do experience when we come to parts of Scripture like this. Uh, there are a number of reasons for it, and, and they're worth thinking about. Uh, for one thing, these, these are records of times in history uh, that, are, that are, for one thing, very far away from us. Uh, so we wonder... What does this even have to do with us? This, this Athaliah reigning on the throne, slaughtering the royal family, and then uh, being taken off the throne. We naturally wonder, 
What does this have to do with us in our day? Uh, So that's one question that we want to be thinking about this morning and also in the coming weeks. But also it's the violence and the evil that we're uh, confronted with in in this chapter. Uh, We finished the second part of this series uh, in in 2 Kings 10 uh, several months ago, and and it was a terrible chapter. It's the chapter about uh, Hazael being anointed... uh, and, and then he and Jehu just went and slaughtered the people, a large part of the people of Israel. Now, these kinds of things are hard to hear, unpleasant to think about. And so we often naturally tend to avoid these parts of Scripture. We think, I really don't want to be there. Uh, the, the reality is when we're confronted with violence and evil, it has a way of, of seeming to rub off on us. We find this actually brings us down uh, to, to use the modern uh, phraseology. Uh, and that's, that's, that's just part of the reality of dealing with these dark parts of, of Scripture. Uh, it's true even in our, in our day-to-day lives, even outside of Scripture, that when we deal with evil and we deal with darkness, it has a way of, of rubbing off on us. Uh, I suspect the elders would, would agree with this point. Uh, it, can, it can very much be true in pastoral ministry that when you're dealing with evil, it has a way of, of getting to you. Uh, well, here we are dealing with tremendous evil in the time of Israel. And, and it can have a way of, of discouraging us, of bringing us down. Uh, So perhaps that's another reason why we just avoid these parts of Scripture. We think, I don't know how this is supposed to help me. I kind of want to be in a part of Scripture that's going to encourage me, lift me up. And here I am in something that seems to be bringing me me down. Uh, So let me start there on, on that point then, with the violence and evil that you find here in these parts of Scripture. The ugly reality that we need to come to grips with as we work through these parts of Scripture is that the violence and the evil that we find here in, in this chapter and in this book are, is our violence and evil. It's the violence and evil of the human heart when, it gives its, when it's given the opportunity to work itself to, to the surface. Uh, people often dislike the Old Testament because of the, the violence uh, that is there. But we need to recognize it's not primarily God's violence. The violence you find in the Old Testament is primarily the violence of human beings against one another. And now God certainly can be violent. He, he has, there are times where God pours out His judgment. Uh, you see that more in the New Testament uh, than you do in the Old Uh, The Lord Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else in in the Bible. Uh, And and that's a a righteous violence. But when we're in the Old Testament, what we often find is just a dark, a terrible, unrighteous violence. The violence of human beings against one another. It's our violence. It's the cruelty, the malice, and the horror that rises up from within the human heart. It's the violence of people like Athaliah that we just read about, who slaughtered the royal family, which, if you 
pry apart the details means she's slaughtering her own grandchildren because they're the only ones left of the royal family uh, who, who do that, uh, who slaughter the, the, the little infants, who slaughter the nurses, it says also, who, who undoubtedly would have been begging for, for the, the life of these, these little children. It's that kind of violence, the violence of sinners... Uh, who are devoted to establishing their own kingdoms, though it comes at the expense of God's kingdom. Uh, The kinds of of terrible things that we read about here in Scripture are things that you and I are capable of doing as long as we're committed to establishing our own kingdoms. Uh, History and psychology have shown this again and again. Human beings are capable, every one of us, of, of the worst evils, the worst cruelties, when we're committed to our own little kingdoms. Uh, so we need to recognize, even as we look at these dark parts of Scripture, that's us that we see there. That's the people that we would be apart from God's grace. Uh, if you don't recognize yourself on these pages you're not really paying attention. Now, that makes the book of Kings an unpleasant book. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, But it means that it's unpleasant because we're looking at the horror of our own condition, the horror of sin which afflicts our own hearts as well. Uh, And and if that's the case, it's a horror that we need to see so that we would run to Jesus Christ, our Savior. How will you run to a Savior that you don't believe you need? Uh, We need to see ourselves for who we are so we would rightly run to our Savior. Uh, So this is a dark book, but it's a book that leads us to a good place. It's a book that leads us to Jesus Christ. Uh, You'll never love the Savior if you do not know or do not acknowledge the misery from which He saves you. Uh, so, so that's the one thing. It's the violence and the evil. Uh, there's also the darkness of these times in general. Uh, so, so not only the violence and evil that we see on the surface of the pages, but also just the hopelessness and the misery, including the spiritual darkness uh, that we see in these times that also often acts as a turnoff for us, that keeps us away from these parts of Scripture. Uh, one of the reasons that perhaps these parts of Scripture are not as meaningful to us as they could be or as they have been to former generations is because we at least feel that we don't live in times that are as dark as these. And in, so, in many ways, we don't live in times that are as dark as these times. Uh, this is a text for believers who lived in times uh, where it really looked like the church was going to be extinguished for good. Uh, that, that really looked uh, like, like, like the Christian faith uh, was coming to an end. There have been chapters in history where it really looked that way, where things really looked like we were at the end. This is a text for those times of history in particular. Uh, in our text this morning, there's, there's this amazing account. Uh, when you stop and think about the details, there's an amazing story of faith and courage on the part of Jehoshaphat, the, the wife of the high priest, who saves this, this baby boy, uh, who, she and her husband, that they, they put their lives at risk in order to preserve the Davidic line. It wasn't their child they were saving. It may not have been even a child they knew. And yet they put their lives at risk to save this baby boy 
because of their faith in God's promises that this, the church is going to endure. Uh, in the darkest times, there are these amazing stories of courage and confidence and faith. Uh, so it would be good as we come to these chapters to, to be able to understand that uh, the, these are here to prepare us for these kinds of dark times should we face them as well. Uh, perhaps our, our grandparents or great-grandparents would understand these chapters a lot better than we do because they lived in times that really felt as dark as, as those. Uh, in relatively easy times, you can ask the question, why do we have to be here in this part of, of Scripture in such dark places? Uh, but, but these texts are here to show us, at least in part, uh, to show us uh, what faith looks like and how God works in the worst times, so that we would see that, appreciate it, and be ready for it should we come to such times as those. Uh, We should not let ourselves grow soft or or naive just because we live in comfortable times uh, here in Canada. Uh, Things can very quickly change. And and it's by dwelling on texts like these, then, that arise from these very dark times in history that, once again, we're also directed to our Savior Jesus Christ and the kingdom, the good kingdom, that he is ultimately bringing. You, You only appreciate how good the kingdom of Christ is when you know how evil the kingdom of fallen humanity is. So having said all that, let's step into this chapter with our eyes uh, oriented towards the hope that they ultimately point to in Christ. Uh, Chapter 11 does show us some of the most precarious years in the history of God's salvation. Uh, The promise that we've been hanging on to, if you remember from the previous months, uh, the the one promise that we've been hanging on to in every chapter uh, has been the promise that God made to David, that one day God's going to raise up a son to David who's going to reign on the throne of David forever and through him establish a permanent kingdom of justice, of righteousness, a good Kingdom, uh, And that's what we've been holding on to. That's what the people of Israel were also holding on to during all of these years. Well, that promise, that hope is left hanging by, by barely a thread when we come to the reign of Athaliah. This is the weakest moment in the history of the line of David. Now, Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, If you remember them, the most ungodly king and queen in the history of of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, Jezebel uh, had shown herself to be the very embodiment of evil from the very beginning to the very end of her life. She was evil incarnated. And and she had led Israel to Baal worship. If you remember, she murdered innocent Naboth just in order to to build a vegetable garden in his field. And amazingly, she was. uh, What's amazing here is that uh, Athaliah was her daughter. And amazingly, Athaliah is the wife of Jehoram, the king of Judah. So stop and think about that. You have the most ungodly king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel. Their daughter ends up getting married to the king of Judah, the godly king of Judah. How in the world did that happen? Well, that's the first point we want to think about. You have to ask, how 
how in the world did that marriage happen? And the answer likely points to the father of Jehoram, since marriages, especially in the royal family, were arranged by the parents, uh, to the father of Jehoram, namely Jehoshaphat, who was the previous king in, in Judah. This is an important point. Jehoshaphat, this is not the first time we've seen this, was a godly king who made stupid choices, stupid decisions. Uh, and that's something we should stop and think about. That can happen. You can have godly people who make absolutely foolish choices that have consequences that will endure for generations. It's entirely possible to be someone who loves the Lord and who still makes foolish compromising decisions that have long-term consequences. Well, that was Jehoshaphat. We've seen it before uh, from him. Uh, Twice he entered into military alliances with the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, First with Ahab. If you remember that time, along, uh, it was back in 1 Kings uh, 20, where Ahab uh, went to war and he got Jehoshaphat to join him. And and the prophet Micaiah was was, uh, asked to to give the Lord's opinion of it. And Micaiah said, uh, you're not coming home alive. And so he put Micaiah in prison. Jehoshaphat was there for that, and Jehoshaphat didn't intervene. He's a godly king. Uh, king says he, was a, he, he feared the Lord. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But he made stupid, foolish decisions. So twice he entered into military alliances with Israel. Uh, once with Ahab, then again with Ahab's son. Uh, in both cases... Uh, He had failed to seek the counsel of God before going and making those alliances. Both of those times ended in disaster, uh, especially for for Judah. And and since those marriages, uh, since, since, since marriages in those times were typically arranged by parents, we see again here another foolish idiotic decision from Jehoshaphat. Uh, He was almost certainly the one responsible for for putting Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel, into marriage with his son, Jehoram. Uh, So another foolish compromise. Well, by the time we're here then, in in chapter 11, uh, nearly the entire royal family of, of David has been wiped out as a result of that foolish decision. It didn't start with Athaliah. It started with her son, Ahaziah, the most recent king in Judah. Uh, as soon as, as Jehoshaphat was dead, uh, his son Jehoram, uh, who was married to Athaliah, went and slaughtered the rest of his brothers. Uh, so he's not a godly man. Jehoram was not. He slaughtered the rest of his brothers in order to secure the throne for himself. Uh, to make sure there was not going to be any competition. And then after a few years, uh, he was killed, uh, probably in revenge, in, in retaliation by some of the people, uh, by the families of some of the people that he had killed. Well, then his son Ahaziah uh, ended up, uh, who was also an ungodly king, ended up being killed by Jehu, uh, who had organized a coup in the north. That's what we last saw in 1 Kings 9 and 10. Jehu goes and just slaughters uh, the the family of Ahab, and then he goes south and he goes and slaughters Ahaziah, uh, who was also from the family of Ahab. Uh, So that leaves no king on the throne in Judah. And that's the situation we're now faced with. Most of the royal line has already been wiped out by Jehoram, and there's no king left on the throne in Judah. 
And then we get Athaliah, uh, who has been called by many the, the queen grandmother from hell, uh, which is not, not a description that's far off. Uh, here's the daughter of Jezebel, who sees her opportunity to take the throne of Judah for herself, and that's what she does in the first verses of, of this chapter. Uh, the reign of Athaliah gives us a picture of the evil that we are capable of when we're committed to our own kingdoms. Uh, she, just like her mother, is the very picture of evil and cruelty. Uh, so she immediately got up and ordered the destruction of the entire royal family that was left. So, again, Jehoram had killed all of, all of his brothers and all of their children. So the only ones left in the royal family are Jehoram's children, which are uh, also then the children of Athaliah, uh, her own children and grandchildren. She gets up and she orders all of them to be slaughtered so that the throne could be securely under her own private control. This isn't the first time that mass infanticide has happened in Scripture, is it? If you remember the larger picture of Scripture, uh, it's a shocking cruelty, the very epitome of evil, the very uh, utmost work of, of Satan uh, to, to slaughter infants. Uh, and yet it happens over and over. You think of Pharaoh, right, sending the, the, the Jewish boys into the Nile, having them uh, slaughtered. You think of Herod. Many years later, ordering the, the slaughter of all the little boys in, in Bethlehem. It's a story that plays out over and over in history. And here it is again in the line of David. Uh, now, on the one hand, we want to recognize this is the work of Satan behind the work of Athaliah. We want, we want to see that. Uh, Satan levels every attack he can against the kingdom of God. Uh, the, and there's something deeply demonic and even satanic about, uh, about the slaughter of infants, especially when it's uh, directed against the line of the Messiah. That was the purpose with Pharaoh. That was the purpose with Herod. That's the purpose here with Athaliah. Though she is committed to her own kingdom... Through her, Satan is very much at work committed to extinguishing the line of God's promise. Uh, now, Athaliah probably didn't see herself as an agent of Satan. Right? That's probably not how she thought of herself. She was simply working for number one, working for herself. But through those who are committed to working for number one, it's through them that Satan works the most effectively. Here's the reality. Every kingdom that is set up in opposition to God's kingdom is a sub-kingdom under the dominion of Satan. There's only two kinds of kingdoms uh, out there. There is the kingdom of God and there is every other kingdom which works ultimately, whether they realize it or not, which works for Satan. Every individual who devotes himself to the establishment of his own kingdom, and that's what sin is, commitment to oneself, to one's own will, one's own law, one's own kingdom. Uh, those uh, who are committed to themselves are, are used by Satan to establish his kingdom over against the kingdom of God. And that's what Athaliah then becomes. Uh, so we see here satanic attacks against the line of David. Athaliah devoted her life to establishing her world, her kingdom, and through it she made herself enemy number one 
of the kingdom of God. So the world that we step into then in, in, in this chapter is a world of Athaliah's own making, a world of cruelty, a world of brutality, a world that existed for the purpose of giving her everything that she wanted at whatever cost that needed to be expended. And it was therefore a world over against the kingdom of God, a world committed to bringing to an end the kingdom of God. Every kingdom established for itself against the kingdom of God becomes an enemy of the kingdom of God. Our point number three we want to see here is that of courageous faithfulness in such a time as that. I want to try and take a moment to understand this whole situation that Athaliah had created to understand it from the perspective of the faithful that were left in the kingdom of Judah. Uh, There were men and women in Judah in that time who were still hoping in the kingdom of God. Uh, And they didn't know, this is really important, they didn't know how this story was going to end. We can look back and we can see how God preserved the line of David. From their perspective, they didn't see how that would happen. They had to live in their time not knowing what would come next. And they were men and women of faith. Uh, Thinking here especially of Jehoshaphat, the wife of the high priest, as well as her husband, who stole this baby boy. They were men and women of faith. Uh, Think about how little they had to lean on. That's what faith is. Leaning on the promises of God, even when those promises are not uh, visible. They are not sight. Uh, they had nothing to lean on but the promises of God. And that was a promise that they had heard from their grandparents, and their grandparents had heard from their grandparents. It wasn't something that just happened, something that was from a long time, even centuries before. And yet that's where they put their hope, in the promises made by God many generations before. There were many, many people in Judah who had already given up on those promises. Uh, The fact that Athaliah was able to get away with what she did, to carry out this mass slaughter, she obviously didn't do it just with her own hands, Uh, and then to reign for six years, reveals that there were plenty of people in Judah who could care less about the promises of God. Uh, You can imagine how Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada... uh, the, the, the high priest and his wife, uh, would have been regarded by many in Judah as, as just these, these religious fundamentalists, uh, these, these old people that just hoped in these ancient promises of God that everyone knew this, this was just legend, just myth. The people in Judah had moved on from those promises. Uh, they were committed to other things. Uh, and, and so for many in Judah, the reign of Athaliah was just not something to fight. That's just how it happens. You just have to work with the cards you're dealt. Uh, You have to keep trying to defend your country from outside threats. And if Athaliah is on the throne, so be it. That's the perspective of many in Judah. Then you get Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada uh, who, who stand on the promises of God. So in the middle of the slaughter, as these guards, these royal guards are going through the royal family, slaughtering the infants, slaughtering uh, their, their nurses, Jehoshaphat, uh, the, the wife of Jehoiada the high priest, enters into the middle of the chaos, and it says she stole a, one of the baby boys and hid him and his nurse in a bedroom in the temple. 
Uh, now, it may not have actually been a bedroom. Uh, the word there is, is a unique word. And it might also just mean a storage room in the temple where bedding was kept, a bed-related room. Uh, and that's probably a more plausible explanation for why this child was never discovered. It was just a back corner. It's just a storage room where she was able to keep this child. Now, why? Why did Jehoshaphat do this? Uh, she put her life and the life of her husband at serious risk to save a baby boy from the line of David. It wasn't her child. And yet she did this to save this child. Why? Well, the answer is very simple. Because she hoped in God and believed God's promises to David, even though they were made many centuries ago. She had nothing but these ancient promises to lean upon. And she and her husband believed them and built their life upon them. That's the only reason why she acted. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, and I want to ask especially the young people uh, in in our congregation, uh, if Jehoshaphat and her husband chose to build their life upon the promises of God, what are you building your life upon? Uh, What kind of man or woman are you committed to being? What kingdom are you committed to serving? Uh, Because a life of faith, such as you find from Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, uh, that makes a difference and that produces a legacy that endures for generations, such a life does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen automatically. It will not happen on its own. Uh, In the course of life, and especially in these critical moments where where life and death decisions have to be made, uh, the foundations of our life become very clear. The things that we've decided to build our life upon and, and to build our life for will be immediately evident in those moments. And it's in those moments that the enduring significance of our lives will also be determined. It's in those critical moments when you don't have time anymore to think about what matters to you. You only have time to act upon what matters most to you. Uh, It's in those times that the significance of your life is determined. Now, I see, I see in, in that regard three kinds of people in, in this text, and, and you can see similar people today. There are the Athaliahs, uh, people who are just living for their own kingdom, who are abusing, who are cheating, who are lying, who are destroying others around them because they're just committed to number one. There's plenty of those around. Uh, then there's, there's the larger part of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, people who profess the name of the Lord, but for whom the promises of God are just whatever. Uh, they're old promises. They were made a long time ago. Who knows uh, whether they're really true. They're just whatever. They've heard them from their, grand, from their parents or grandparents or the priests at the temple. They've grown up hearing these promises, but they don't mean anything to them. And the things that mattered, uh, speaking here of the people of Judah, the things that mattered to them in that time were just their own fields, their own jobs, the economy of their country, the, the national security of their country. And it's because of those people that Athaliah was able to reign on the throne and to slaughter all of her own children because they didn't act because the promises of God were not first and foremost to them. And then thirdly, there are the Jehoshabas and Jehoidas, people who in that time, in dark days, had set their hope 
on the promises of God and made that hope the foundation and the purpose of their lives. And it's on days like this when split-second decisions need to be made uh, that whether we will lay our lives down, we'll put our lives on the line to see that the promises of God are protected and and promoted, uh, to live for a kingdom bigger than ourselves. It's in those split-second moments that the foundations of your life, the things that you've chosen to build your life upon in those moments uh, will be evident. And it's in those split-second moments that the significance, the lasting uh, significance, the legacy of your life will also be determined. It's in those moments where you don't have another opportunity to rethink your decision. You must act, and you'll act on the basis of that which you've already committed yourself to. It isn't, in, in fact, until centuries later that we can now stand and look back at what Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada did and realize how significant it was in that split-second moment. Uh, it's, it's so important for, for every one of us to remember uh, this, this truth. You must, make, uh, you must build your life upon something, and so many build their life upon that which cannot Last, It's for the here and now which must pass away. Uh, You cannot keep your life here on earth. Not one of us can. But you can, like Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, spend your life and commit your life to things that matter, that will endure for generations, for centuries, and even for eternity. Now, this is another reason why I believe it's so good for us to be here in the book of Kings. Uh, The book of Kings is oriented towards kingdom realities, towards things that are bigger than ourselves. It's to to God's kingdom, which is much bigger than your life and my life. Uh, We see God in this book working through the centuries, building his plans uh, for the salvation of Israel and for the world. And we see in the midst of that, uh, we see these men and women of faith giving their lives to that kingdom as something that was bigger than themselves and worth laying their lives down for. Uh, we tend in our, own, uh, in our own generation, in our own culture, we focus so much upon the individual. Uh, it's, it's all about myself. You see this sometimes even in, in Bible studies. Uh, I, I've seen it anyway in Bible studies where the question is always asked, what can I learn from my life? Uh, what does this text say about me? Uh, sometimes the, right, the better question to ask is, what does this text say about the kingdom of God? about what God is doing, and how can I see myself as part of something that's much bigger than myself? Uh, Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, and the first half of the Lord's Prayer is about things that are bigger than ourselves. Uh, It's oriented towards God's name, that His name would be hallowed over all the earth, towards God's kingdom, that it would be built over all the earth, and towards God's will, that it would be done over all the earth. They are global prayers. That's where our focus ought to uh, begin. Uh, Likewise, Jesus taught his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other little things will be added to you. Uh, What we see here in the book of Kings is that the Bible is not primarily about you. It's not primarily about me. It's primarily about God and secondarily about God's kingdom that he is building 
over many centuries. It helps. And, and so rather than the Bible being written uh, to, to teach us principles for our lives, rather the Bible helps us find our place in the larger purposes of God's kingdom. And that's why Jehoshaphat put her life on the line to save this baby boy from the line of David and hid him under the queen's nose uh, for six years. Uh, So it's not just in that moment that she put her life on the line, but for the next six years, if that child was to be discovered, she would most certainly uh, be put to death. Why did she do it? Because she was committed to the kingdom of God as something much bigger and much more important than herself something bigger than her life. So she saw in that moment, she saw her place in history and recognized that it was given to her to see that the line of David would endure and would be preserved. And if you think about it, what an important role she played. How many of us knew the name of Jehoshaphat before coming to church this morning? Uh, And yet, by God's grace, we owe it to her that the line of David was preserved, and that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born. Uh, We owe it to to her, of course, in God's providence, under God's sovereignty, and yet to her actions that God used, we owe it to her that Jesus was born. Now, we owe it to her because she saw her life as a small thing against the larger backdrop of the purposes of God. She recognized her time, and she acted in her time. Uh, so we, we remember, as we think about this text, we want to remember our place too in the history of God's salvation. Uh, we live in a different chapter, yes, and yet we live in the same story. As God is building his kingdom, now that Christ has died and risen and is reigning uh, and is building his kingdom throughout this earth, We live in the middle of God's story, and we too should be able to recognize our time and with wisdom know how to act. Uh, We are all of us here with a purpose and a calling to live not just for ourselves, but to seek first the kingdom of God, to proclaim the name of Christ, to serve the upbuilding of the church, uh, to take up each of our callings as prophet, priest, and king, uh, as, as we confess that those are callings given to us in Christ, uh, to know what Christ is calling us to do and to be, and then to live by his uh, promises. Uh, not one of us knows whether God might use us to play a critical role as God used Jehoshaphat in her time. And indeed, we do. We do play a critical role as prophets, priests, and kings in union with Christ. He chooses to build his kingdom through our efforts, through our labors done in his name by his power. Number four, we also want to see in our text uh, the, the, God's faithfulness in keeping his promises. Uh, this chapter is not ultimately, of course, about what people have done. It's about what God did through them. Uh, it was God who raised up Jehoshaphat. It was God that, uh, who instructed her in, in the faith. It was God who gave her and her husband the conviction and the courage to act in that moment. It was God who placed them where they were in a position where they had access 
to the royal family. And through them, it was God who remained true to His promise to establish the line, to preserve and establish the line of David. When Satan had almost succeeded in wiping out the line of David and almost succeeded in extinguishing the hope of God's promises, uh, it was then and for the next six years as the promises of God were really just hanging by, by a thread, it was then that God was at work not permitting the line of David to be wiped out because of God's commitment to God's own promises. And all along, God was then working towards the day when he would establish this next boy king and then through him to establish, to reestablish the line of David and ultimately come to the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, so this chapter, we don't want to miss it, this chapter is a testament to the faithfulness and the commitment of God to his promises and to working out to completion the salvation that he has prepared for Israel and for the whole world. It's a testament to the unyielding, unwavering determination of God to see to it that his promises are fulfilled, uh, to save a people undeserving of salvation, to redeem them, to forgive them, to renew them, and to bring them into eternity with him. Uh, And by God's grace, you and I, belong to, to that people, together with the saints of that day, Jehoshaphat, Jehoiada, and the other saints of that day. We belong to that people because of God's commitment to God's own promises. Uh, and that, uh, that means that God's promises are a foundation that is worth building your life upon. Why did Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada do it? Because they trusted and believed in God's promises. And God is committed to his promises. They're worth building your life upon. Now you think about it even historically. Uh, it is an amazing thing that the line of David came that close and yet was preserved. Uh, God is at work. And so our text is a reminder that when God seals his commitments with a promise as he did to David, uh, be it centuries or even millennia ago, uh, he will never break his word. And for the sake of his own name and his own integrity, he will carry that promise through to the end. And that should be a great comfort to us, knowing uh, that by God's grace, we've been made heirs of those same promises that are sealed with God's uh, commitment to his own name. And that brings us then very briefly to the last thing we want to see in our text as well, and that's a covenant renewal. Uh, In verse 17, after Joash had been brought out and made king, and and Athaliah was put to death, uh, by the way, I hope you appreciate the irony in her words. It's there so we can chuckle at it. Uh, She's uh, being dragged out and crying out, treason, treason, coming from the the traitor of traitors, the one who uh, deliberately tried to wipe out the line of David. Uh, After she was then put to death, Uh, Joash was put on the throne, and we read in verse 17, uh, Jehoiada, that's the high priest, made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, uh, that they should be the Lord's people. And then he also made a covenant between the king and the people. So two covenants uh, were made. Uh, Jehoiada recognized that it was time for covenant renewal. Uh, If it was by God's mercy that they were still there, 
that Athaliah was now gone, that the line of David had been uh, protected, uh, that he, he also recognized that is not a mercy that should be presumed upon. The reason it was so close to, to being wiped out was because of compromise, because of commitment to other things besides the kingdom of God. Compromise on the part of Jehoshaphat, Jehoram's father, in putting this marriage alliance uh, together. Compromise on the part of the people who allowed this to happen and didn't intervene. Uh, and and, and the, the line of David had been almost wiped out, and the blame for that lay entirely with the absence of faith on the part of God's people. Uh, were it not for God's commitment to his promises they certainly would not have come about because the apathy of God's people uh, left those promises uh, totally vulnerable to being extinguished. And so this chapter concludes with a covenant renewal uh, between the Lord on the one side and the king and the people on the other, and then a second uh, covenant renewal between the king on the one side and the people on on the other. Uh, There was a sort of awakening, a sort of rededication to the Lord, a renewal of hope in his promises. And one of the consequences of that was the first thing they did after that covenant renewal was they went to the temple of Baal and destroyed it. Uh, Covenant renewal comes with the removal of idols that have been tolerated for far, far too long. Uh, And so they they remove them, and they also put to death the voices that they had been listening to that had led them astray. And that's a fitting place then for us to conclude this chapter as well. As we see in our text, the commitment of God to to bring his promises to fulfillment, uh, it's not enough for us simply to see it. We must also, every one of us, must take a hard look at the courage and faith of those who did stand on God's promises in that day and consider for ourselves, will we go down the road of compromise or will will we, like the people of God, renew our commitment to standing on the foundation of God's promises? Will we be a people who hope in God who look to him, who seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and then who give our lives to furthering and fulfilling his purposes among us, will we recognize our place in history, or will we allow apathy and compromise to take us steadily away from from his kingdom? Uh, If we will uh, recognize our place in history and stand on God's promises, as God is certainly calling us to do in this text, then we must also take stock of the idols that exist in our land, in our church, in our hearts. Uh, take, Take good stock of those idols and begin the hard work of breaking down those temples and waging war on those voices that would lead us astray. Whether they be the, the temples and voices of, of materialism, of earthly comforts, of, of empty and immoral pleasures, uh, of the gods and allegiances of this world, these are all voices that pull at us, that would seek to, to lead us astray. Uh, if, if we will stand on God's promises, we must wage war against all of these voices. If we are to be a people devoted to the Lord, uh, then we must, there's, there's no way around it, we must also be a people of war, committed to waging war on the idolatry that exists both within us and around us. 
And that's part of what it means to be a Christian, Lord's Day 12, to fight with a good and free conscience against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter to reign with Christ over all creatures. And that's the promise uh, we want to end on. Uh, Those who hope in him, those who fight with him now, uh, with the good and free conscience that he bought for us with his blood, they will also reign with him forever thereafter. As Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada now reign with Christ and, and will forever, so shall we who fight with him now. Uh, He is the author of our faith. He will sustain us to the end, and he will cause us to reign in glory, provided that we too uh, uphold, renew, and maintain our commitment to him. Amen. As we uh, reflect on God's word, let's sing in, in thankfulness from hymn 68, stanzas 1, 2, 6, 7, and 8.